Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Jim Fox joined me for a live road report on Twitter Monday at noon. We bring you a recording of that conversation now. It's, uh, it's okay. It's, it's not too cold. It's uh, kind of light, very, very, very light snow. But uh, for my fear of heights, it's not a good view from the 56th floor. Do you really have a fear of heights? Correct. I did not know that. How did I not know that to uh-huh. this point? Uh, that's a, I don't know. That's just, I'm not that comfortable with it. All right. Well, listen, we already have a request, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, and bring Jennifer on real quick, um, and we'll just hop right into this. Jennifer, uh, how, yeah. are, how are you doing today, Jennifer? Uh, pretty good. I was I was just wondering real quick when we expect Kaliev back. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, reports have been a broken foot. I'm not sure if I've ever heard the official report. Uh, so you're looking four to six, usually. And that's with the healing of the bone. Uh, certain bones can take longer because the, the blood flow to the bone is not as good as other bones. So then it takes longer to heal. But I think four to six weeks and then you're talking, you know, another week to 10 days before you're back up to speed. So if that can help you, I'm not exactly sure when I don't have it in front of me when uh, uh, Arthur went down. But uh, that's about what we're looking for. Okay. Well, I miss him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I think we all do. Thank you very much, Jennifer. We appreciate you hopping on. Um, so, Jim, the Kings, uh, two games into this six-game road trip before the All-Star break, uh, a loss to Nashville and a win against Chicago. A topic of conversation early in the season was that the team wasn't playing consistently. And one of the things that Zach Dooley and I have been talking a lot about, and I've talked to you about it too, is the biggest problem with inconsistency is that you need prolonged periods of consistency to you know quell any fears about inconsistency are we now reconcerned about consistency or is this just uh you know or was this just a three-game losing streak okay just and i'm not pinpointing one specific area but to me the biggest area of inconsistency. Let me put it, we've talked about this before. When the word inconsistency comes up to me, the first thing I think of is goaltending. Mm -hmm. So that if you get saves, you're consistent. If you don't, you're inconsistent. That's the first thing that comes up. It's not the only thing that comes up. Uh, They have 
Todd uh, McClellan mentioned yesterday at the team uh, meeting in the morning that he did see signs of the scoring to win attitude as opposed to details to score, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different thing. So he did bring that up. So he felt that maybe, you know, and if the Kings were inconsistent early and you see a little bit of that now, Todd was seeing it too. It's, as he mentioned, more of a mental adjustment than anything else. It's more of, uh, you know, individual decisions as opposed to structure. Uh, For instance, you know, on a turnover, many times a turnover is an individual decision. And then, you know, it leads to a goal. And many people, and it's rightly so, think about, well, where was the structure there? Well, when you have a turnover, you put yourself in a position where the structure might not even help you. It's just not going to help you. So uh, I haven't seen a lot of that. Uh, you know, the start of the game in Nashville, but is that game the, the most inconsistent game you've ever seen? I mean, you know, first two minutes, and then the Kings take over for 40 minutes, and then Nashville takes over for the last 18. Uh, you know, so that's that's what you're looking for. It's, Todd also did mention, and it's something that maybe is learned with a new group, and each season is different, that, that locking it down when you have the lead. If that's an area, even last night in Chicago, you know, there was some things that were creeping up in the third that you're going, man, we didn't see this for the first two. And I don't think it had a lot to do with what Chicago was doing. Uh, I just think it's uh, the Kings relearning how to still be aggressive when holding a lead. Let's talk about that Chicago game. Because of the events of the Nashville game, I felt like the Chicago game, at least from my perspective, and I saw a bunch of fans echoing it, maybe had more importance on it than an average, you know, game 48 or 49 or whatever it was in the season. Is it fair to say that they, you know, had to win that game? I know we've said before the only have to win game is in the playoffs, but. It's, it's, they had to play better. They had to play making better decisions. And not only the coaching staff, but I remember Andre Kopitar's comments, Look in the mirror. Type. It was a look in the mirror. You hear that how much three times a year, you know, from every team in the league. It's time that everyone has to look in the mirror. And again, I think that's back to the individual decisions. Uh, so uh, I think it was a, a one of those games that you could put. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. You could put a little extra importance on that game because of the way Nashville went and the disappointing nature of the third period. Uh, compared to, and, and we can talk about opposition and strength of opposition, that's fine. But the first two periods the Kings played against Chicago were textbook. Uh, maybe Chicago doesn't have as much firepower as many teams in the league, although lately they have been. Lately they've been scoring four goals a game. So the Kings locked them down. So that individual preparation, that individual understanding of your role, that individual understanding of executing what you should be and be predictable to your teammates, uh, that did come back against Chicago last night. We've got Jim Fox here with us uh, from Philadelphia. Kings fans, if you're listening, if you want to ask a question, go ahead, request to be a speaker. We will uh, promote you. You can ask Jim yourself directly. But Jim, in that Chicago game, for all the little things that I do know about the sport, there's still a ton that I just don't. And I was watching that game, and it was, I don't know, late in the second period, and I'm looking at the shots on goal that Chicago has, and it's incredibly low. 
and I'm thinking to myself, wow, they must be blocking a ton of shots. And I look it up and I think they had eight blocked shots at the time or something. So how is a team like the Kings suppressing offense against Chicago in a game like that if they're not blocking a bunch of shots? What is the team doing right to get that that impact of, of stopping Chicago from even getting scoring chances? I think it was two things. I think we saw it in the second period in Nashville, and we saw it in the game against Chicago, and that was first-man pressure on the puck. So preventing the opposition from making more than one pass as they go up the ice. And then the second thing I think was very apparent was an extra commitment, an extra focus, a laser-like focus on taking away the middle of the ice, the home plate area in the defensive zone. So that's a commitment of all five players. Sometimes you're giving up a little bit of offense there, when you're committed to get back five men in your own zone to take care of home plate. At the same time, what I just described is good pressure up the ice and smart positioning in your own zone. And those things together make it difficult to score on. There was a play that you and Alex highlighted in the game where uh, Chicago Blackhawk is carrying the puck into the Blackhawks offensive zone. He's going up the right-hand boards and curling you know, near the corner. And you could see the Kings defenseman, it, not just the defenseman, the entire five-man unit on the ice move with the puck carrier, almost like watching a school of fish or a flock of birds. Um, every Kings player on the ice was moving. It, it felt like, you know, in unison. Um, is that something that that is coached? Is that something that you – are they playing a set – defensive play or are they reading and reacting specifically to what the puck carrier is doing in that situation they're reading and reacting because on the initial entry uh you know you you have a, an area to go to to force the puck and keep the puck on the outside once things if the opposition gains 100 percent possession of the puck with more than one two or three then the kings in the past have gone and they go to a man on man system so but upon that initial entry, you're just trying to keep it to the outside. And I think what you're talking about there, Jesse, is this. And you've heard the term before, five men connected. Mm-hmm. You could almost have a foot rope to, uh, to attached to all five guys on the ice, and they would have moved in the same way without stretching that rope. Uh, they were just all connected together. Uh, but then again, it, it does. if the other team does get possession, then there is a point where you read and react and you go into a man-on-man coverage issue. And that's um, that's what the Kings have done in the past. There are hybrids of that where you can be man on man in some areas of the ice, some sides of the ice, high, low, or you can just, you know, uh, go into a zone where when you, a player on the opposition skates out of your zone, you don't chase them. You stay into your zone. And we, Jesse, we were not two men connected there. Yeah, so exactly. Be, that rope stretch. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, so Jim, one of the questions that inevitably gets asked, there's a, maybe a half a dozen questions that are sort of right at the top of the playbook when you're talking to the coach before a game. And one of them is always, what are you looking for you know, early in the game to let you know that your team is bought in? Or what do you want to see from your team early in the game? But as a broadcaster in a game like that Chicago game, what do you need to see and how early do you need to see it? What are you looking for specifically? I'm looking for up ice pressure just because of the way the second period was played in Nashville. That's what I was looking for. Uh, You know, individually, uh, there are certain things you're looking from certain players. Again, because the the fourth line last night involved three young players all playing together who probably spent some time together at some point or another uh, in Ontario. 
so that's 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 more of a specific thing. <clears throat> when you see the final time on ice, it was definitely fourth line ice time, but uh, it was a line that uh, I think we mentioned a couple times. He they gave the coach exactly what the coach was wanting from that group, and in a back to back situation, that really really is a bonus for the coach or for the team because then you use more players and you don't have to overextend certain guys. Uh, so that was one of the things we were looking at. But again, uh, you know, to, to be honest, the, the shot suppression just caught everyone's attention early, right? I mean, they went like seven minutes, eight, I don't know how much, without a shot on goal. Mm-hmm. I think they had three shots on goal in the first 20. Um, it, it was very, again, that, that five men connected in their own zone. The, the breakdowns, I think, in Nashville, again, one, you know, the, the game-winning goal, unfortunately, a guy who who rarely does it, but Blake Lazat, you know, the turnover at the far attack blue line, which led to that double cross play where you have your guy skating one way and all of a sudden the puck's going the other. Game-winning goal. That's an individual decision. But again, I, I just thought the Kings got away from up-ice pressure in the Nashville game in the third period, and they went back to it early in the game against Chicago. The play, the Jersey play on opening night, um, Dersey makes the pass from deep in his zone, but the turnover actually happens at about the same spot on the ice that the Lazat turnover happens. So the argument could be made that the the team has, th- you know, two zones worth of time to defend the oncoming rush before the goal is scored. So where where are you assigning maximum responsibility on that situation? Uh, first game at home. Dersey, uh, both situations, the Dersey and the Lazat situation, the first thing that comes to mind for me is time and score. Okay. So you're late in the game against Vegas, first game of the season, no need to make the play. Lazat, you're up by one goal in the third period, you're on attack, you're in the middle of a change, you don't necessarily have any support. It was two Kings against about four Predators. That puck has to get deep. So time and score, add the situation, then you have the breakdowns. Again, I think in the first game, I think the Kings were better equipped, as you mentioned, to defend the counterattack and did not do so. There was an over back check, I believe, and there was, you know, back off of the blue line. Uh, I think in the Lazat play, that one was pretty well executed. I'd say the counterattack was pretty well executed by the Predators. Center lane drive, nice pass to the middle, high skilled player, turn shoot. Uh, so uh, different ways of looking at it, both goals, time and score. That was the issue. You have to make your decisions sometimes based on the time and score. And I believe both guys did not do that. Um, I see a couple of members of the media in here with us. So, uh, gentlemen, if either of you wants to hop on and ask a question or don't even ask a question, just uh, voice your opinion or if anybody else uh, wants to direct one to you, go ahead and do Hold that. On. Yep. Yeah. I, I want to I hear Austin's question because, as I've said many times uh, privately and to him, um, his the way he forms his questions are outstanding, and I think uh, coaches, players, uh, certainly me listening to those questions are uh, uh, just you know sometimes you you can have the content and sometimes you can have the way you ask them, and then sometimes you can have both. And Austin has both. Well, Austin, if you uh, want to respond to that, go ahead and request yeah. to be a speaker. Austin Stanovich, LA Hockey. Now I see you on the call there. But Leo B actually did get his question in uh, via Twitter. Uh, he wanted to ask nice. you, Jim, about Byfield and your impressions of him over the last two weeks while he's been playing on the first line. Leo says he's been quite impressed with him during this time. Different approach, perhaps because of the position. 
The approach is involves a little bit more body contact. I think since game one, uh, since the first time I saw him, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. I, I don't beat it into the uh, like a dead horse, but uh, I, I just I think that Quentin was not schooled yet on how to prepare for contact, how to go into hits, how to take hits, those types of things. He was he was reaching. He was used to out muscling guys just because he was bigger, stronger, longer, uh, that type of thing. I think he has spent some time perhaps with development coaches. I think he spent some time just watching how he's gotten into contact. And now when he's getting into contact, he is better prepared to use leverage strength, come from a low position and use your strong muscles, your big muscles, the leg muscles, the hip muscles, and and really go into a hit. Having said that, uh, you know, we, we saw his goal in Nashville. I think a lot of people picked up on it, uh, you, you know, because of the way he came into the league and, I think uh, QB was, he was playing at a million miles an hour, which is really good because not many guys have that skill to do that. But he was going a little too fast. I think as his game slows down in his head, it slowed down the other night for him. He picked up a rebound. He turned. He took an extra stick handle. He got his head up. He didn't just throw it right back into the goalie tender's pad. So I think the biggest difference is his ability to take and give contact. And I think that continues he'll spend a lot of time up there because uh, I think they, they, they like playing with QB, uh, uh, Adrian and Andre. And I think it's something, again, we've talked about, you know, the Fialis. My opinion is there's only one puck out there. And when Fiala's on the top line, I don't know if there's enough puck to share. Fiala needs it. Kopitar needs it. Kempe needs it for speed from behind. So I like the balance they have when they're not together. And uh, QB, different position, doing a pretty good job. All right, we are now going to go to Austin Stanovich, that uh, member of the media, right for LA Hockey Now. Austin, how are you doing? Pressure's on. <laughs> well, can you hear me, Jesse? Oh, yeah, we can hear you. Okay, perfect. Uh, first of all, Jim, thank you very much for your kind words. That really means a lot coming from you, so I appreciate that. Um, my question, Todd a couple games ago, singled out, if you will, the Deneau line, said he wasn't too happy with how they played. In the last couple games, they've Struggled on the score sheet a bit. I think there have been a minus in four straight games. Is there anything you're seeing that's maybe standing out about that line, why they're struggling so much? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. And and in all honesty, this season, that line has had some real good and some real bad. So I know the first point that Jesse was talking about was inconsistency. Uh, my opinion, I wouldn't doubt if one or two of the guys – have battled injuries that maybe we don't necessarily see or they don't miss time with. And I think there is still an area of puck pursuit, which is missed because of the speed of a Trevor Moore. So when those three guys are working together, meaning Arvidsson, Deneau, and Moore, you have a little bit more speed. Now, I hope people don't take that as a knock on Alex Iofalo because we've seen what he can do and how he can just fit into every single line combination you want to put together. But um, I think it has been a concern. I, I don't think, I think the cycle has been there. It's that opportunity to throw the puck to the net. And I think maybe that's what that line is going to start thinking about a little bit more. You can have it as much as you need 
on the outside, but sooner or later, it's got to get to the net. And I think you'll see them try to do that a little bit more. So I'm going to toss out an observation, Jim, and you tell me if I'm crazy. And Austin, you stay on and tell me what you think. And even John Rose, and I see you in here too. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Even when Trevor Moore is on that line, Jim, I have found that the effectiveness of the Deneau line Whatever, whoever is playing on the Deneau line, whether it's Moore and Arvidsson or Velarde and Moore or Ayafalo and Arvidsson, it doesn't seem nearly as impactful, for lack of a better word, than it did last season. And I wonder how much of that is just a result of scouting and the rest of the league sort of now recognizing Phil Deneau as an offensive threat, whereas last year... You know, the knock was, oh, the guy's a five goal scorer and then he pots 27. Is it, could it be as simple as opponents are now looking for that line to be a threat more? Yeah, yeah, it's, it could be that. I, I don't think you're, well, I, I think you're crazy, <laughs> but I don't think you're here sure. on this one. Uh, I do think this has happened in the last month or so. I think the actual shutdown responsibility has gone more to the no line. Mm-hmm. You know, usually it was kind of a half and half, Kopitar, know. I think that Todd has been looking for more matchups, and I think he's gone to the no line a little bit more as far as that first option to be the shutdown line. Um, I'm, maybe numbers would tell me I'm wrong and analytics and who they're up against and all those types of things, but it just seems to me. So having said that, maybe that's why their offense is a little bit down. Um because they, they they are really being given the most difficult task every single night. Yeah, Jesse, I don't have a ton to uh, add on to what Jim said, because as always, Jim, pretty much cover all the bases. <laughs> sure. Just the uh, statistical part of it, I wasn't looking specifically at matchups, but I did notice when doing something on QB that he's gotten mostly, almost entirely offensive zone starts and almost no defensive zone starts, which would uh, lend itself to what Jim's saying about the Deneau line getting more difficult matchups, taking the defensive zone face-offs, it makes it a little more difficult for them to create offense when you're starting 200 feet from the opposition net. So I'll just add that on to it. Gen- generally speaking, guys, just generally speaking, it, it appears that, you know, and Todd brought it up yesterday again, how much we track it, that face-offs have been a concern of late. Mm-hmm. And so now what's you're talking about Kopitar and Deneau, and it's not necessarily it was the coverage issue. So uh, uh, maybe that's just a, a certain specific part of their game that ha- they've struggled at recently, and it's cost them the goals against. Jim, I would like to ask how you approach a certain situation in the hopes that it'll help people like me and Austin. Um, sorry, Austin, for lumping you into my category. Uh, when there's a game, let's take two of the games in the last three, four, nothing lost to, uh, to Dallas and the two, one win over Chicago, uh, two goals scored over two games, not a lot of offensive firepower to pinpoint. And, you know, ultimately it's two goals by the same player off of passes from the same player. So if we're removing Jared Anderson Dolan as a candidate, how are you looking for players that you can say played a good game in the other 100 and, you know, 15 minutes of those two games? Oh, yeah. That's, that's, uh, 
I mean, each guy has a different thing to do. Usually they're, they're assigned to different roles. So you're looking for different things from different players. Um, I'll just bring up again, last night's game. And, you know, it's easy to, it's easier sometimes to analyze the guys that get 25 minutes. Uh, you know, I, I just thought Kupari, for instance, who had a struggling game, I believe, in Nashville, I, I thought he was forcing things against Chicago in a positive fashion. He was on the puck. He used his size and speed. He became not necessarily a threat, but he became an issue that the opposition defenders had to deal with. So that's that's something I see right away. Oh, okay. He didn't make it easy on the other team. Uh, that's that's what I look for there. Uh, you know what we saw in Nashville and even in Chicago to a certain extent. I mean, if you've never seen a game of hockey before, number twenty-two is going to stand out to you, regardless if you know what icing is, offside, hit, shot, because his energy and quickness and just the way he gets around the ice will catch your eye so i'm looking for that but you see that nashville man he could have had 10 points <laughs> and he didn't get any i mean he was so and you know and i'll take a tangent here inconsistency the finish has just not been there a little bit you know he had a breakaway again last night right of course three or uh, four jad scores off of it <laughs> yeah jad scores off the rebound but so you know there's a just a little, you know, so the finish hasn't been there. So and then you don't, you know, you don't get the goals at the right time. And all of a sudden you, you have a loss at the end of the night. And, and, and you still played decent, but it wasn't there. Um, I do take a look at analytics from Sport Logic after each period, usually. Sometimes I don't, but I usually do. And, and I do look for the zone entry, zone exits. That tells me who has the puck. And... So that's not an eye test thing. That's more of a stats thing. And a lot of times when I'm looking at the stats, it's to verify what I think I've seen with my eye. Right, we are going to go to Lieb now, who has joined us in the past. Lieb, how are you doing today? We've gone ahead and uh, added you as a speaker. So as soon as you're connected, uh, go ahead and unmute yourself and, and uh, let us know what you're thinking. Hey, how are you guys? Good, how good. Are you? Good. Uh, I just had a quick question that, didn't really wasn't you know related to what we were just talking about, but um, one of the sources of consternation on Twitter that I see a lot is uh, surrounds you know who gets called up and day to day lineup decisions. Sometimes someone will get called up and not get into a game and get sent back down a couple days later. So I wanted to know, Jim, if you could speak to just in a general sense what goes into the game to, game to game decisions of who gets in and who doesn't and why certain guys get called up and just sort of to relieve our consternation about like this guy got called up and then he was sitting in the press box for three days and then got sent back down and that kind of thing. Just uh, like what, what are the decisions that go into the game to game? I'll lineup? start, I'll start by this. It always interests me how much attention is brought to your 21st, <laughs> 22nd, 23rd player. Yep. Uh, the guys that aren't considered impact. Not that they're not important, as we saw last night. I, I, they caught my attention as the fourth line. Did a heck of a job. Did exactly what expected. But uh, that, and, and you know what? It's in every market. 
every single market we go, that's what that's what the discussion's about. Who's going to be the twenty third guy in the lineup? Who is he it's going to go from twenty three to twenty? He's going to be in the lineup. Not uh, after that. I, I think the process is certainly this injury. Is the guy nicked up or not? Okay, so then the guy might have to come out. If so, are any of the potential replacements capable of filling that role? The easiest example there is when Lemieux goes out and Todd McClellan feels they need that role, they don't feel like they need it every night, right? But if they feel, then that becomes difficult because there's very few other guys that can do that role. So you're looking for that type of thing. I think after that, the coaching staff looks at the opposition's team first and feels who could help the Kings better in counteracting what the opposition is trying to do. And then I think the final piece is reward. A discussion with the coaching staff of the Ontario Reign and trying to reward a player that has been going over and above and playing very well in the American Hockey League and trying to reward him that way. So there's a lot of things that go into it. But again, the first thing I, I look at is, okay, is there a potential injury that may cause a player to be out? If so, what role does that guy play? I'm sure Todd's looking at that. If so, if so is one of the guys that would be a potential replacement able and skilled enough or has the mindset to fill that role? And then you go to the opposition. What do they bring? What type of guys do you need to counteract them? And then... How can you reward guys that have been doing well at the American Hockey League level? Lee, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thanks for that. It is. Do you have a sense uh, to like the extent to which these um, these call ups and and set downs have like LTIR recapture sort of um, implications? And it's really just sort of paper transaction shenanigans that get the fans worked up? Is that like a common thing? Is that something we see a lot of that maybe we should start looking out for a little bit more and stop, you know, complaining on Twitter about? Uh, I think that you see it mostly with teams that either share the same training facility like the Kings do, or their American Hockey League affiliate team is the close proximity to their NHL team. So then you have the luxury to do that. You have the luxury to go up and down the recalls and things of that sort. And as you mentioned, a lot of times it is just a paper trail. It is just doing certain things that might help you later in the season with salary cap issues. It might also just be to get some guys, some practice time with the Kings, just in case something happens. So, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to go in a rotation of maybe six or seven guys that you want to see in practice with the Kings, even if they don't see a game. You're just getting them familiar, you know, just with the guys they might play with in the game, uh, those types of things. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I know that it catches everyone's attention. Um, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't follow what's going on in the American Hockey League that much. I, I do get to Jared's uh, recaps from games, and I think they're very helpful, but I don't analyze video i don't watch many games so for me personally i don't have a good beat on what's going on uh, but when i see those transactions that you're talking about uh, it really doesn't catch my attention because as you mentioned many times 
It's more of a administrative issue as opposed to a who's playing well issue. I'm going to circle back to that in a second, Jim, but I want to get to Noah because he's been uh, on hold, for lack of a better word, for a while. So uh, we're going to go ahead and let Noah hop on and join us here. Noah, as soon as uh, the connection goes through. Noah, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jesse. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you guys for, for doing this and for helping me. Um, Jim, I have a quick question about uh, Phoenix Copley, if I could, real quick. Um, yep. You... you you made a comment after the first goal was scored against Dallas, and, and it was one that I, my dad and I were saying right before you said it. It was kind of like a uh-oh moment where you said you want to show that in the back of every king's mind it was, it was uh-oh, what, what if Phoenix Magic is gone? And then the Dallas game happens, the first 30 seconds in Nashville happens, and then it's really a uh-oh, what, what's going on? And then, and then he plays well in Chicago. So throughout those three games and, and even now, do, is there a genuine concern about Copley's play on, on your part or Jesse's part? I'd like to get your opinion on this as well. Is there a genuine concern about the goaltending still or, or, is, or did Chicago kind of put that to bed? Um, I think the way Patrick O'Neill captured it in the postgame show was it's the elephant in the room. And you look at his record, Phoenix's record, and you would say there's no reason to have that con- you know, that concern. Because at the same time, the reason I did bring it up is because I am constantly hearing that from people watching the team. Not only fans, not only, you know, just, just const- watching the team. I'm not talking about internal Kings people. I'm talking about people that watch the Kings, whether it's Los Angeles people or whether it's people from visiting teams. So many times that is the first topic that is brought up. Um, we hope, I hope, and I do say words every once in a while to myself, and I'll call them prayer, that uh, Phoenix Copley can be a number one guy at 30 years old. If you're not asking the question, how come it's taken him to become this at 30, you know, it's taken him to 30 years old to get here. Then I think we're missing a point somewhere. I hope that his style and his calmness has an effect on the team. I think he has been doing more than fine. His numbers tell you that. If you look into the analytics, his numbers will tell you that he's not doing any much better than anything else that's been happening around the Kings as far as goaltending uh, because the Kings analytics numbers tell you they defend very well. There's been a lot of times this year and I've used it too because early in the season, I think there were breakdowns by the Kings defense in front of the goaltending that were glaring. And when a mistake was made, it was not well defended. The two-on-one Royal Road pass, backdoor tap-ins. The Kings were not, you know, you're going to see outnumbered attacks every once in a while. So you have to defend them well. The Kings were not. Having said all of that, the last two to three years, and including this year, save percentage goaltending has been an issue. Do I like myself hearing myself say that? No. Because I've watched Jonathan Quick win two Stanley Cups. I've watched him be the most exciting goaltender I've seen. I enjoy seeing him, wa- watching him play. But the numbers have not been there. 
the Kings this season, as far as I know, are right near the top of the league in defending slot chances against. And the save percentage for Kings goaltenders on slot opportunities against are right at the bottom of the league. So somewhere you'd like to see that save percentage get up a little bit. So that's a long, long winded answer to a question. It's very difficult to describe. Again, I know I heard some feedback from people that, you know, we're not happy about my comments about, you know, Phoenix's record is 12 and two. Well, I'm just, I hope I presented it the way I intended to, which is I'm hearing from others in the back of people's minds. This is what they're thinking. And Let's make sure Phoenix proves them all wrong, that he can do it and he will do it and he'll continue to do it. There was a caller on King's Talk. I don't remember which game it was. I was driving home from the game, Jim, and a caller called in and asked Nick and Daryl um, an anticipatory version of this question that Noah has asked. And they were saying, is there any fear that uh, I think the phrase they used was Copley comes back to earth? And the answer that Nick and Daryl gave was not really because he's not flying that high to begin with. Um, no knock on the game that Phoenix Copley plays, but we're not talking about a Dominic Hoshik-esque performance where he's all over the place and pulling saves out of, you know, miracle situations. You know, because he plays that style that he plays, the better the team defense plays in front of him, the better the results will be. And Nick and Daryl's point was, you know, it's unlikely that Phoenix Copley's game will change. It's more likely that the team playing around him will, you know, ebb and flow in effectiveness. And my concern, Noah, to answer your question, is less about uh, Phoenix Copley's game and more about that stretch the Kings went on after the new year, dating back, I guess, into December, you know, December 14th on to January, whatever it was where they were, you know, Jim, first in the league in records and I think first in defending passes through the crease and clearing rebounds and blocking shots. Um, You know, there's about half a dozen defensive metrics that they were first or top three in the league in during that stretch. And this is a question for you, Jim. Can a team maintain that intensity for four months? Well, that's identity. Yes, they can. I mean, if that's what you hang your hat on, uh, that's something that they would be known for. I'm sure if we went right through right now, and again, it's a completely different situation because can't remember a team being head and shoulders as good as the Boston Bruins are right now compared to the rest of the league. But, you know, they if you look at their numbers, I'm sure they'd be good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always a topic of focus, goaltending, always. Again, as, as you mentioned, and I just mentioned, you know, his Phoenix's numbers are not any better than basically anyone else. I mean, they're, they're a touch better, but they're not through the roof. They're not leading the league. Uh, he's come in and he's, he, you know, talking to him. He says, you know, I'm trying not to overthink things. And that's the way he plays. The, the Nashville game, for instance, right? The first goal against was not a bad goal. Face-off, shot. Traffic, redeflection, uh, redirection, puck into the top corner, off the crossbar. Not a bad goal. Second goal, I would consider the positioning of the goaltender not to be where he wanted to be. Even though the shot from Duchesne came on a backhand spin in the middle of the slot, so good area, right? High area, 
high danger area, but just it appeared like Phoenix was not, could not get himself to a position. Yeah. So then he's pulled quickly. Uh, probably the right decision to make under those circumstances. Uh, it's going to be a focus. It's any team that has a goaltender like Phoenix right now that is playing as much as he has. There's how many times have we heard it before? Can he do it in the playoffs? He hasn't done it yet. He hasn't. Well, Phoenix's career has not proven anything yet. Let's hope. And let's, by what he's been doing so far, maybe he can prove that he is capable. He's not done it yet. And that's why there's thoughts in the back of people's mind. No, does that put your mind to rest at all about the uh, goaltending situation? No, yeah, it does. So uh, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. That was uh, that was great. And I, and I was coming at, uh, Jim, your comment in the Dallas game with any disrespect or anything. No. So I actually, appreciate, actually appreciated it. And my dad and I were, just, were literally just saying that right yep. before you said it. So that's where the question comes from. So Yeah, thank you. And that's so thanks. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Thanks, Noah. And for those out there, if you if you don't agree with my opinion or thought, not that Noah didn't, like I didn't take it that way. I just, it's one of those things that if you have a problem with my opinion, I have, I have no problem with that. That's, I'm just trying to analyze the game and trying to figure it out. And again, I think we've discussed this before for people that are listening, maybe for the first time, um, any goal against, for instance, we could probably go back to 10 different things that dominoed before the puck ended up into the net. Uh, usually on a broadcast, I've got about 20 seconds to wrap it up and try to find the best replays and the play. So sometimes you can go back and then sometimes, uh, you know, if there's a quick whistle, you can go back and show another. So you're always trying to figure out the whys uh, things happen. And every time I speak, let's say every time I speak, about 80% of the time, I'm offering an opinion. Right? That's just an opinion. So that's something that I'm sure some people agree with and some people don't. All right, Jim, you and I both have uh, places to be later, so we're not going to end right now, but I do want to throw out some quick topics that uh, need to be addressed. One is uh, a fan on uh, HF boards is referencing a conversation that you and I had a while ago that some of them have uh-huh. uh, have clung to. And you, I don't know how seriously you meant it or in what context you meant it, but at one point when talking about Alex Turcott. You referenced that when he was drafted, I think you saw him as a 3C, a third third line center. And some people have clung to that. So the question is, can I ask Jim if he thinks Turcotte is still nothing more than a third line center? Now, that's their phrasing. Um, it's not how I would suggest that you meant it or even said it. But what's your impression on the ceiling of Alex Turcotte in 2023 now? Um. If I did use that phrase, and I think I did, I think I'm what I was trying to say, if I didn't say it clearly enough, was I think he's going to be a solid NHL player. I believe I did say that also, but maybe not. A solid NHL player, and he would be a, a very solid two-way third-line center. Um, excuse me, two-way center. Um, at fifth overall, I'm sure that caught a lot of people's attention. Uh We'll see if he can get to that higher level. I assume what we saw in the World Juniors. Uh, sometimes the connections on these calls 
fail for uh, unknown reasons. Uh, Jim Fox, it looks like you are back, but muted. So uh, if you want, there you go. Jim. What, 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 where did, where did I leave off? Uh, you were talking about Alex Turcott being a, a very effective two-way NHL player. That was my uh, process. So third line center, mm-hmm. two-way player. Uh, again, in his world junior performance with Cali Evans Zegris, uh, creative. With their pair against their peer group, they they dominated offensively. Probably, um, I saw him as the kind of the glue guy on that line with skill of Zegris and the shot of Kaliev. So nothing that stands out to me. And again, I hope it changes. Uh, were his numbers at Wisconsin through the roof? I don't believe they were. Are his offensive numbers in Ontario through the roof? I don't believe they are. So where I see him is a solid third-line centerman at this point. All right. Next question up. What's one thing on your bucket list that you want to do before you finish your career in broadcasting, if there is anything? Bucket list? uh, I mean... Since we've experienced it twice, of course, it would be to win once again. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's something that uh, is, you know, well, as you can tell, indescribable. It's difficult to put into words uh, when you go through something like that. Observing as an observer, uh, not a doer, because as a, as a broadcaster, you're just observing but you're getting to see high quality hockey, high pressure hockey. And that's something that environment is, is excellent to be involved in. Um, you know what I, you know, and I've, I've mentioned it before to many people and I, I really, <laughs> it may seem weird, but I, I really don't see myself as a broadcaster. <laughs> I really don't. I, I, I don't know much about the technical aspects of broadcasting. I just try to watch the game and offer an opinion. And um, so, I, I, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. It's a tough question. Uh, I really, I, I don't, nothing comes to mind as far as bucket list. All right. Except Nick- winning another <laughs> Nicholas Walker says there was a package on the Kings players about nicknames. We all know Foxy is the main nickname for Jim. Are there any other nicknames for you, Jim? And then he asked me if the boys have given me any nicknames. Um, we'll get to that in a sec. But Jim, I've always known you as Foxy. Are there any others? Uh, just one uh, was, uh, I think it was Billy Harris my first year. He was a veteran player in the league at the time. Uh, it's, it's Sly. So, but along with a fox, Sly, sly fox, like a fox, Sly. Yeah. He, he, he called me Sly. Um, I think some of my stuff I have on Instagram is Puck Sly, you know, so stuff like that. So uh, that, that was probably the only one. Uh, guys, you've got about oh, five or six minutes. If you've been holding on to a question, now's your chance to, uh, to get it in. Jim, I've never once in my life really had a nickname. Um, is there something about me that doesn't lend itself to nicknames? No, 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 not nothing at all. And, uh, you know, again, because of my previous and current, well, not as much as I used to, but, <laughs> uh, 
with professional wrestling, you're, you're, you're Jesse, the body. Sure. I mean, that, that, that's what you are. That's so. the closest I've ever had. There was a, a, a kid in high school that I wasn't terribly fond of who called me Jesse, the body he wishes. That was the closest. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've ever come yeah. to that one. Um, this is not about the kings of today, but we just had Hannah Davy on All the King's Men and was going back down memory lane for anthem singers, Hannah Davy, Pia Toscano, Gabe, Davis Gaines, and a, num- a name that has been brought up by a number of different people is Warren Weeb. Am I pronouncing that right? Weeby. Weeby. All right. I don't remember him, but a number of fans have reached out to me to t- tell me about their memories of him are there any other anthem singers that uh, that come to mind uh frank mahoney when i played the first couple of years at the forum uh did not sing the star spangled banner uh america the beautiful uh just a great rendition he had a very tenor like voice uh, not operatic but very powerful uh that would be the guy that would stick out to me uh that would, you know, catch my attention. Uh, Warren was, was excellent. Uh, he was a very interesting person and, uh, but he, he could, he could really sing, uh, with feeling. Uh, and that was something that was, uh, that was, that was, and Hannah, you know, I met her who a couple of years now, just what it's so nice to, 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 you know, for me to hear the anthem, sung with a little bit of personality but nothing that takes away from the way it was written and uh i think hannah does a phenomenal job she really really does um and this is a conversation a longer conversation that we have time for but i just want to maybe plant the seeds of it and we can get into it at a later date on a different platform but as somebody who played for the team yourself um you've survived in various different roles in the organization, multiple ownership changes, coaches, general managers, players, jerseys, color schemes, buildings. Like, Is it rewarding to you to see the identity and the rituals change around the team over the years? Is it um, jarring? Do you ever feel possessive of the team? I'll, uh, this one's easy for me, Jesse. It really is. Um, and I, I, I wish I wasn't like this, but my only concern is the final score of the game. <laughs> All right. They can play in, they can play in any color. They can play in any Jersey. They can play in any logo. They're always going to be called the Los Angeles Kings. That's all I care about. And I just care whether they win or lose. And I know you, you, you take a, a lot of, uh, you know, the way you look at jerseys and analyze them, look around the league and, and minor leagues, and you put a lot into that. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I really, you know, the reverse retros to me, because we've, we've told a story before where, you know, when the, we were wearing the purple and gold and we went, you know, we, we play summer league softball games against the Lakers, in which our uniforms we had for our softball team was, white with gold and purple trim like they have in the reverse retro uh, we played a, a softball tournament in the nhl in the summer times that was up in niagara falls we won a couple times and we had the same color scheme we tried to get the people that were 
making the decisions to change that color scheme. So yeah, I mean, it catches my attention and I really love that reverse retro with the white. Um, but again, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'm just, I, I wish I wasn't like this. I wish I could get my mind to stop spinning every once in a while, but uh, one game ends and then I'm thinking about the next one and what's the score going to be and can the Kings win? And, and that's where my thoughts are more than <laughs> any of the, th- the numerous things that you just went over there. That's just too much for me. All right. Final question. Actually, I've got two more uh, and you can choose to not answer either one of them. Um, this question comes from a noted troll on the internet. And the reason I'm giving uh, this question oxygen is as a former troll myself, I find that every now and then some of these questions have uh, validity, but I know that they won't. I could answer this question myself for the person, but I I know the answer, but I want people to hear it from your mouth. The question is, what's the average number of times you want to slap Alex Faust during a broadcast? <laughs> but I know the answer is none because you love Alex Faust, At, like as a person, well, never mind professionally, as a human being. Uh, how many times do I want to slap him? <laughs> yes. Wow. We're getting into an area of, uh, you know, workplace violence. Sure. I, you know, uh, making a uh, uncomfortable work environment uh, would never, ever get into that. Uh, I, I think that, um, and I've mentioned it before, uh, we all have our different styles. We all have different ways of approach and things of that sort. I classify Alex Faust's goal calls as right at the top, the best. And uh, that's that when I, when I, you know, I think again, so many years I work with Bob, right? I think Bob's interweaving the stories, the play by play, the proper amount of energy for a certain situation described perfectly. I don't think anyone did that better than Bob. Uh, you know, you're talking about drop of the puck to end of the game, is the ups and downs, the momentums. Bob's voice inflection, he could he could handle that. What Alex does, when that moment comes for a goal, uh, I, I don't think there's any better description. I don't think anyone else does a better job than Alex when he's calling goals. I'm going to need to hear you say Faust. the words, I love Alex Faust. Love Alex Faust. Uh, I love Alex Faust. I said it. I appreciate it. All right. Final question. And you can give this one as much uh, of an answer as you want. Um, This comes from Reddit. And the question is, I need to know how long Foxy has left in the tank for his career. I am dreading his departure for sure. So you can choose to ignore this one or answer it. But since uh, a question came in, I will uh, put it to you uh, to answer. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate the way that question was was uh, formed. I will say this, that if you have uh, your gas tank meter in your car, it, uh, it's lower than the quarter mark. It's getting down to the one-eighth mark. It's getting down to the one-sixteenth mark. It's getting down to, uh, I, I think that's where we're, we're looking. Um, but that's that's still to be determined. I know that there are still decisions to be made on who's going to actually be being televising Kings games in the future, because I believe the contract with Bally's is up at the end of this season. Um, they would certainly be 
probably the first in line to to regain that. Uh, the actual structure of broadcasts, you know, and how it's done, and should it be the play-by-play analyst, uh, the way it's been done for years and years and years, um, that's being, I think, discussed. I know the Manning cast type of thing that's out there right now. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure it's, you know, hockey fits that type of format since there's, you know, football, you have a, you have a play and a stoppage, mm-hmm. a play and a stoppage, a play and a stoppage. A play. Hockey, you know, you can go 12 minutes without a whistle, just, just all those things. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think um, I've really enjoyed it. I, I honestly, just uh, uh, I, I, I really don't. <laughs> I really don't think of myself as a broadcaster. I just, I, I know that's weird. That's thirty-two years in. I'm trying to. I, I think I'm. I've improved over the years, and you know, I think I can break down a play. But uh, I just, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's because I was an ex-player. You know, like I mentioned earlier about you know the bucket list that would be you know winning another cup. Uh, but you know the, that would be. I would be remiss in not saying that I I never did it as a player, and that's that would have been the ultimate. I, I I can't. I mean, I've got the rest of my life to lead, so I can't fixate on that because I won't have that opportunity. But uh, it just it gets you close, uh, and I I don't know what. The technical aspects of broadcasting, the audio and the video and the mix and all, all that. I have no idea what's going on. Nothing. I just hopefully sit there and watch a game and, like I say, offer an opinion and every once in a while break it down and hopefully have a play and maybe go through the why things have happened as opposed to just the what has happened. Well, as you say, you've got the rest of your life to lead and you and I both have the rest of our day to lead. So I'm going to let you go, Jim. Thanks to uh, everybody listening. Thanks to everybody who submitted a question. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Thanks, Jim. Well, thank you very much, Jess. Uh, I certainly appreciate it.